Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. You are free to follow along in a Bible of your choice, or also it'll be on the screen behind me. So again, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. You know, that's the thing about preaching through the Bible. You really just don't get to choose which text you have. My name is Justin. I am one of the elders here. It's good to be with you guys. I, I've, I've been into um, Westerns lately. Uh, like not like John Wayne Westerns, but more like CBS version of Western shows. And so I, I just finished one, and it was said in the mid-1800s, uh, about the Transcontinental Railroad. It's fascinating. And um, in that time period, what became popular was uh, canaries. So what would happen is coal miners specifically would take a little small canary and they would go down into the mines and as they were uh, digging and drilling and exploring, the canary if it sensed that there was toxic gas in the air, specifically like carbon monoxide, but any type of gas, it would start chirping. And the coal miners knew it was time to get out because it was deadly gas. And so canaries, uh, we now know, scientifically are able to detect uh, toxins and gases quicker than the human knows. And so what the running phrase would be is, oh, is it the canary in the coal mine, which is just used now as a, is that a, is, is that a, a, a sign, is that a signal, a, a, a telltale of what's going on? And so what we're going to see, I think, in this passage, but what really the, the Bible in general tells us is that the pursuit of material wealth and comfort is often the canary in the spiritual coal mine, that it often is a window into our own hearts and where our trust is or is not placed. You know, Jesus himself talked about money 15% of the times that he taught. So that's, that's just for context, that's more than heaven and hell combined. So Jesus has a lot to say about the way in which we view and think about material wealth and comfort. And I can see some of you, you're kind of like deciding whether you're gonna like stay tuned in for the next 20 minutes. Like, ah, I just had a big bill to pay. I'm low on material wealth and comfort anyway. But here's what I would say. Whether you have been entrusted with much 
or whether you have nothing to speak of to your name, I can promise you this. Jesus aims this text at both of those situations. And so hang in there for the next 20 to 25 minutes. And I think that if we'll listen, the Lord has something for every person on every part of the material spectrum. Let me pray briefly, and then um, let's spend some time in Matthew 6. Heavenly Father, um, I just confess my own, my own dependence on what I can produce with my hand. Lord, I, I just confess that even as of this week, Lord, I have fought and struggled to not depend on whatever comforts I have. I have felt enslaved to them. Lord, but you in Matthew 6 are providing freedom from the yoke of that slavery. That it may seem foolish to the world, but that you have a fundamentally different idea about where comfort and security come from. Lord, would you open our ears? Would you let the Holy Spirit move through here freely to encourage us where we need encouragement, to pierce our hearts with convictions where we need that? But most importantly, to see your Son more clearly. Would you bless these words in Christ's name? Amen. You know, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount and oftentimes as we think about the Sermon on the Mount, which is, as we know, the largest sort of continuous sermon that we have on record, and this is really probably just a Cliff Notes version that we have in the Bible, is a multi-day sermon. And oftentimes we want to group it into one of two camps. It's either the expectation of what being a Christian disciple looks like, do these things, or it's sort of an idea that uh, these are unattainable behaviors and virtue that only Christ himself can fulfill. That's typically how it's thought about. And the, the answer, as most things in life, is it's more nuanced than that. It's really a, a mixture of both. It is both of those things. It is an expectation of what a Christian ought to pursue for virtuous and moral living, but it's also, it, in many parts, unattainable standards. And so we'll see the same interwoven between these next five or six verses. You know, and whether we want to admit it or not, talking about material wealth and comfort seems to be pretty important. Uh, the most recent statistic came out and Christians, just U.S. Christians, reported a income of $5.2 trillion last year. But yet only 5% of churchgoers give any kind of money to any faith-based organization. 5%, y'all. So it seems that we've got some work to do on how we view possessions, earthly treasures, 
material comfort. And Jesus, from the beginning of this text, goes right after us. He says, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth. There's really not much finagling around that one. It's kind of like, do not lie. It's pretty cut and dry. So I think what's going to be helpful for us as we, as we look through verses 19 through 25, 24, is to break it into three sections. Verses 19 through 21, this first block. Verses 22 to 23, and then finally, verse 24. So let's start with verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, you gotta remember, Jesus is talking to a group of people, a Jewish people, who have a very long history of trading their spiritual blessing for earthly comforts that are fleeting and unsatisfying. I mean, the laundry list is long in the Old Testament. And so this is who Jesus is talking to. But he immediately gives an either-or scenario. Apparently, there are only two types of ways to live. You either live by building up earthly treasures or you live as if you're building up heavenly treasures. So let me say that a different way. You're either the type of person that is accumulating value on earth or in heaven. And so what on earth, or that's a weird way to say it, what in the, what could possibly be increasing or decreasing in value in heaven? our everlasting joy in and with God. Let me be clear. What we do here directly affects the size of our heavenly bank account and our everlasting joy in and with God. And some of us, when the Lord calls us home, will have larger balances in those heavenly accounts than others. Think about it this way, if you're, if you're married, let's say you've been married 30 years, and every night for 30 years, you prayed with your spouse. Every week for 30 years, you went on date nights. Every quarter, you had personal multi-day retreats where you just were vulnerable with each other. 30 years later, you have one type of relationship. Now imagine that same scenario, you've been married for 30 years, you never pray together, you never spend any time together, you don't have intimacy, and you rarely talk. It's fair to say you've got a different relationship 30 years from now. So the time and effort you invested in that spousal relationship pays dividends. Jesus is making the exact same correlation. And he's going to unpack how and why in the, in the preceding verses. But do not be mistaken. 
You are either, we are either the type of individuals that are accumulating value here or there. Because there is no and here. It's an either or. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. God has designed that some people will be rich. God has designed that some people will have material wealth and comfort and some will have nothing to speak of. That has nothing to do with what type of person that you are. Because you could have material wealth and comfort and be fighting to hold on to it. You could be accumulating those material wealth and comfort and possession and it consumes your heart or you could not have anything and all you want is more of it. All of those roads lead to destruction. Jesus makes it pretty clear, not just in this passage, but in other passages, that there is a heavy warning to be had about depending on wealth and comfort. In fact, a verse many of us know in Matthew 19, it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Or how about in 1 Timothy 6? Love of money is the root of all evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith. How many of you have ever read a passage that says, hey, listen, if you lie, you're in danger of losing faith. Hey, if you murder somebody, people have walked away from the faith because of that. There, there seems to be three specific sins that lead to a particular type of destruction. Pride, sexual sin, and the love and pursuit of material wealth and comfort. There is a correlation, not a causation, but there's a correlation between a destitute spiritual state and the dependence on wealth and earthly comforts. Jesus is calling for a radical independence from the security and comfort and joy and identity in earthly possessions. The, the parallel passage to this one in Matthew 6 is in Luke 12. And there's a, a little bit of detail there that's not in this particular text, and you don't have to turn there, but Luke, Luke 12, this passage in Matthew opens up and says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Luke 12 says it a little differently. It says, do not lay up earthly treasures, same thing. But it goes on to say in Luke 12 that by laying up earthly treasures, you are not rich toward God. It's a weird phrase. What does that mean? I mean, obviously God doesn't need us to enrich him or make him wealthy. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What 
I think this text says, and I love how, how John Piper says it, that it's not about making God wealthy, but to show God as your riches. Think about this. You ever seen somebody show off their wealth? The car they drive, the house they have, the things they do, the places they go, whatever. What would it look like to be the type of person that showed off wealth in Christ? What it means to be rich towards God is that you have a life, a behavior pattern, a heart aimed at showing Christ as the source of your wealth and richness. The pursuit of material and earthly comforts oftentimes seduces us to covetousness, to greed, to self-reliance, to comfort, to complacency. So how, how are we to think about then things like job promotions? or buying bigger houses or newer cars or how are we to think about the accumulation of, of wealth or saving or being good stewards? Well, we're not gonna talk about that today, but I will say this. I think we need to think about those things at minimum cautiously and carefully. And, and so this text is not a do not enter sign to accumulating things but what it is is a big flashing red light that says beware of falling rocks nasty rip current people have drowned people die watch out for the steep cliff it, it is a big flashing sign that says Men and women throughout history have shipwrecked their faith in pursuit of earthly riches and pleasures. In that same passage in Luke chapter 12, there's a story at the beginning of it, and it's about a rich man. A rich man was so rich, he had a particularly fruitful harvest. And so with his wealth, he sat there, the story goes, and he decided that instead of doing other things with this wealth, I'm just going to actually tear down the barns I have so that I can stack more of my wealth inside bigger barns. And then it says that he intends to eat and drink and be merry and have no care. And the Lord took his life that night. He was not rich towards God. We, we know from this text, from the Bible, that everything in earth will pass away. There is an expiration date on everything, whether it be through rot or old age. Everything is expiring. And Jesus is commanding the audience here, us, 
to not be lured in to depositing into accounts that will vanish one day. And, and then he makes a, like, almost like a DJ on some turntables, he makes a very weird statement in verse 21. After telling us not to lay up treasures in heaven, and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart is the command center for our deepest desires and emotions. What we love, what we believe flow from our heart. In Jewish literature, the heart and the eye are the same thing. And so verse 22 and 23 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I love the way Eugene Peterson talks about the eye. He says the eye is the window of the heart. You get a look inside. The eye is what we use to assign value to things, isn't it? We look and see and determine whether something is valuable or invaluable, worthwhile or worthless, beautiful or ugly. This, this passage is connecting what we see to what's in our heart, to what type of person we are. In Matthew chapter 20 is a parable about the, the, uh, the worker and their wages. And so many of you have probably heard it before, but essentially some workers come at 9 a.m., the boss agrees to pay him a full day's wage. Some guys straggle in around noon or whatever, and he agrees to still pay them a full day's wage. Some guys show up 30 minutes before they're clocking out, and the owner still pays them a full, a full day's wage. And the workers that have been there since 9 a.m. are in an uproar. We've been here all day. You paid this guy. He's been here 30 minutes. The same thing. And the, the text says, why do you respond that way? Because what I have done is right. Because the way that Christ views things is not the way that we view things. So in the eyes of Christ... Paying somebody a full day's wage in that example is just as just for the 4.30 worker as it is the 9 a.m. worker. But we cry foul because we don't have the eyes to see things the way that Christ sees things. And so he's telling us that in order to be the type of people that are accumulating heavenly treasures, ones that never pass away, we've got to look at our eye because it is what is in our hearts. 
I, I played college football. I was a quarterback. One of the first things you learn about throwing a football is you got to point your foot where you want to throw. That's it. It's like 101. Where you point your eye is where your heart follows. What, what do you think Hebrews is saying when it says fix your eyes on Jesus? Well, number one, because that's not our habit. And number two, because we've got to train our minds and hearts to gaze at Jesus. We've got to train our minds and hearts to pursue Christ over everything else. The longer we gaze and stare at Jesus, the more we find him to be worthy. The more we find him to be lovely and satisfying, the more we press into him instead of dependence on self, the more freedom we have. But we don't roll out of bed with that disposition. And, and let's be clear, this passage is telling us there are two types of eyes, good eyes and bad eyes. I, heard, I read something, I just, I'm, I'm read this quickly. This particular pastor was unpacking what it means to have a good eye. He says this, you have a good eye if you look on heaven and love to maximize the reward of God's fellowship there. You have a good eye if you, at master money and master God, look at them and see master God is infinitely more valuable. In other words, a good eye is a valuing eye, a discerning eye, a treasuring eye. It doesn't just see facts about money and God. It doesn't just perceive what is true and false. It sees beauty and ugliness. It senses value and worthlessness. It discerns what is really desirable and what is undesirable. So Jesus is instructing us to be the type of people that lay up treasure where it matters. And the only way we do that if we're keenly aware as to what and who we're paying attention to. And then he closes the text in verse 24 and says, you can't serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this text is certainly about wealth and finances, but it's also about more than that. It's not about less than that, but it is about more than that. And so Jesus, again, says there's only two types of people. So at the beginning, you're either the type of person that's laying up treasures in heaven or on earth. And then he says, you're either serving master God or master money. It's either or. So what does it look like then to serve money, wealth, comfort as our God? It, it looks like wrapping our entire decision tree around how we pull and extract every ounce of energy out of every single possession and comfort we have. 
We structure our decision-making about giving and serving, about taking risks, about where we're spending money based off of how we benefit the most by extracting value from it. So serving God, let's use the same language. It is a decision tree wrapped around the access of extracting as much value from Christ himself as possible. How can we benefit from the person and presence of Jesus? Because you either, we either serve God or money. We are either the types of people that lay up treasures on earth, have bad eyes, are slave to money, and it results in anxiousness, worry, unsatisfaction, and we are in danger of losing our faith. Or we're the type of people that lay up treasures in heaven, are rich towards God, have a good eye, serve Christ as our master, and are left with unexplainable peace joy and satisfaction that's the domino effect on either of those choices one of the things that's difficult in talking about material wealth and comfort is that it it can be deeply personal but we also have to be careful not to impute our own personal convictions on other people. We also have to be careful not to look at our neighbor and tell them they're called to the same thing that we're called to. Because what did Jesus do to Peter? Peter said, what about John? He said, what is it to you what I do with John? So God has called us to a basic understanding of how we're to think about treasures and our heart and what we're mastered by. But there are a lot of individualities that make their way into our circumstances. And so rather than thinking through personal application from my point of view, which we're at risk of me putting up extra biblical fences, me telling you things that are more convictions than they are instructions, Let me offer maybe one or two questions for for us to think about this week. And then let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to do an autopsy of our hearts in the way that they're aimed. Just just two questions. And I can just tell you, just Laying up treasures in heaven oftentimes looks foolish to those around us. I just tell you, for me and my family, the Lord has called us in many ways just this year to do things that don't make dollars and cents sense. They don't make sense financially. I mean, people I love and care about asking me, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. But laying up treasures in heaven allow you to have freedom in risks 
Because what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? Two questions, and then we're going to finish. Take stock of your everyday life and ask yourself, does the structure and balance and rhythm and cadence of your daily life pull you towards dependency on Christ or dependency on self? And that can look like a lot of different things. The, the, the call here to some of you is to start giving. Because statistically speaking, 95% of us in this room aren't giving, even though the Bible instructs us to, by the way. Some of us, that means like the widow who gives her last might. Some of us need a huge uptick of dollars and cents flowing out of our pocket into kingdom building things. Some of us need to stop going home and watching Netflix after a hard day. Material comfort looks a lot of different ways. And that's for you to wrestle with the Holy Spirit on the application at your personal level. So number one, what about your everyday life pulls you towards or away from dependency on God? And number two, what radical decision around money and material comfort is off the table for you? What's got a fence in front of it? You need to figure out why. And that may mean at the end of it, the Lord still entrusts it to you. Or he may take it from you. But it is for our benefit, whichever. There is no one in this room who consistently and regularly lives a life aimed at our final destination. So all of us need to make sure that in the coming days and weeks, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to check ourselves about where our eye is aimed because our heart will follow. One of the reasons that we do communion every week, it's like a reminder for us as to what Christ did. And what did he do? He offered life and hope and peace to people, to persons who were headed in the opposite direction. You know, in the Old Testament, actually Peter, talking about the Old Testament, says to the Israelites, you were once not a people. You had nothing attractive about you. You were a big group of nothingness. But God being rich in mercy. And so communion is a reminder 
that if you have turned from your sin, repented and trusted on Jesus Christ as your sure and final hope, that even in all of our failures and all the ways in which we break basic commands, we fail to live according to God's law, that God is still rich in mercy to us through Christ. And we can't remind ourselves enough of that. And so we'll take some time to do communion as we finish service. Let me pray. Father, what I have to say about Matthew 6 is of no value. Over lunch, this afternoon, at halftime of the Super Bowl, as you bring Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24 back to our minds, would you blossom in each of our own hearts what it is that we need to see and smell to apply to our own lives. Even if we have nothing, may we be a generous people. And even if we have everything by the world's standards, may we be the type of people that live on full dependence and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.